everyone, Gomer here. Welcome, nerds, to Catching Foxes. Today we interview Dr. Greg Botaro. He is a Catholic psychologist, the director of the Catholic Psych Institute, and the Catholic Psych Academy. He developed the Catholic Mindfulness online course, and here's, this is cool, before getting his doctorate, he spent four years living as a Franciscan friar, serving the poor in the tradition of St. Francis. I didn't even know that, and we never even talk about that. And now that I'm recording this bio, I deeply regret that. This is for entertainment purposes only. Please, if you need mental health, you have to go to a qualified expert person and don't use an episode of Catching Foxes to diagnose or treat your own mental or emotional illnesses. For the love of God, please don't do that. Don't, don't, don't you dare do that. And now, Dr. Greg Pataro. There are two things that resonate so much with this, like... For me, one of the one of the comments I literally was just listening to it the other day on on YouTube. It was um, Jordan Peterson was debating an atheist who was you know, I can't remember what he's saying, and he's saying, and he said, "Well, yeah, the person that is analytical might not see the need for God, but the, you're not just you. Like you are many persons inside." And he meant like you know, like kind of like these subsisting person personas. And he's like, but the you who's creative, you know, who's not as analytical or whatever, he's like, might desperately need the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like, to actually under, you know, whatever. It's it's going off, and I was like, there's some truth to what he's saying, but I'm, I'm, so I I wanted to understand like that approach, like, okay, the rings of the tree, I think, are very effective because it's like this scared little boy who I don't know, like, uh, was hurt by girls when I was eight. That scared little boy manifests in like a panic attack when I'm talking to a pretty girl or something like that, right? Like there's a defense me- – I'm just using a really stupid example. But like there's a defense mechanism there. Uh, I mean let's be honest. I've worked with plenty of seminarians over the years that I'm like, you're just afraid of women. Yeah. <laughs> you're not called to be a priest. You're just terrified of women. I am too. It's okay. <laughs> but like so at one point it was – it did a thing that was perhaps good or at least defensive. Yeah, but now it it doesn't make sense in my new context of my life. But it's still doing that same thing. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's causing disruption. So you're like, so the, the so that resonates with me in that in that sense of like, yeah, I I do feel like I've been different people. Like right now in my life, I feel more like I you know imposter syndrome, all that stuff. I feel more like I'm I am okay identifying myself as a leader. Like I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. I got to do this. I got to make decisions. Got to do. I love that aspect now about my personality. I used to be terrified, timid. I didn't want to confront people. Now I don't mind that. So it's like this whole new side of my personality has come out. Um, and I, and it, it's there. It's me. But, you know, so then the other thing was one time when I was going through spiritual direction for my just lost, lost nature or lost um, time period with pornography, right, and just totally trashed by it. And I was exposed to it at a very young age, and I didn't know what I was looking at, but I knew it was wrong. And older brother's older friend and all this stuff, blah, 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 um, was, we were watching it. We knew it was wrong because we made my brother be the lookout, but we mm. didn't know what was wrong about it, yeah. right? And uh, so, anywho, fast forward, I'm, I'm going to confession, and I'm just exhausted. I would get to the point where I would be like, can I just go to confession and then get hit by a bus Mm. so that I don't have to keep losing. And I always felt like I was I was one walk by a laptop away from being in mortal sin and going to hell for all eternity. So there was this constant fear in me. And the way um, this priest kind of explained it to me, he said, he told the story of St. Francis of Assisi where he embraced the leper. 
Hmm. And he said, imagine you're Francis, an aristocrat, a you know, a knight wannabe. Like you're on the horse, you're rich, you're all the things that everyone that you think everyone wants you to be. And you're riding on your horse, and you encounter the leper. And the leper's in the ditch, and he's disgusting. He's decaying right in front of your eyes and all this stuff. Francis got off the horse, and he kissed the leper. And he's like, what if the leper represents your addiction, your darkness, the things about yourself that you absolutely hate? Mm. And what if the man on the horse represents your vision of, of what you want your life to be and sometimes what you pretend you are, but you're really not? Mm. And he said, and the problem with the guy on the horse is he's an arrogant bastard. And the problem with the, the leper on the ground is that he's enslaved to his vices. But you know what being enslaved in this leper, you know, model, he's like, that slave, uh, that enslaved leper, he's humble. And that the, the man who has, is free of these vices of, 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 of sin and, and pornography and whatever, that guy, he's proud. So the proud man needs to embrace the humble leper and the proud man becomes humble and the leper becomes, you know, virtuous or the knight or whatever, or heroic. And these were images that to this day, whenever like I'm in confession, I'm doing, you know, even when things are going perfect, I, I see these things. And it's almost like I can feel and I get super emotional. Like I feel like a wall of tears right behind my eyes. And I'm like, no, got to hold out one more minute. Confession's <laughs> almost done. You get a little long winded on the advice, but I'm almost out of here. And, uh. It just it's like that that image of like this interior reconciliation with broken parts of me needs to be done. And it's not just that silly like pop psychologist like you need to heal your inner child. You know, it's like, no, these these massive elements of my personality need to be hundred percent incorporate what what's the word? Integrated. Integrated. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. And that's I mean that's what it's called. And 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 that's what we're doing constantly is talking about that integration. And it has a real meaning to it. Yeah. And it's it's funny because you, you mentioned pop psychology, like heal your inner child. Uh, there's so many things from pop psychology that they're like scratching the surface. And there's like enough in the sort of natural human intuition that we see that there's got to be something here. There's just nothing to ground it on. Yeah. So when we take those things and then we have a place to ground it, like this whole model of IFS, and, and that's brilliant spiritual direction, by the way. It's it's That's that's 100% the, the, the most effective helpful way. It's the opposite of, you know, all the other approaches that are like, you know, you have to like shame it and cast it out and just do more discipline and, you know, all these other things. So which just, is the other side. That's the 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 night without the leper is just be better. And I'm like, I, yeah. that's the thing I don't know how to do. I don't know how to be better. I know how to be terrible. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Being better is hard. So more discipline, more effort, you know, more, whatever. Yeah. And Francis, by the way, he did that as an act of self-denial because he was so horrified by leprosy. Right, right. I mean, it was like the most distasteful thing he ever did in his life. And it was that moment that transformed his whole life. He said it became the most sweet kiss that he'd ever given. And it was, it, it like was this one moment because of how bad that was. So for people listening, I think this is really important. Like to hate the leper in us is normal. And it, it's like, it's kind of understandable. Like that's another part. There's a part that wants to be also the shiny knight that doesn't get messy. Yeah. And that also deserves compassion. Yeah. Like the knight is a leper too. Mm -hmm. So, so on some level, we sort of transcend all of these parts and that's what it means to be in quote unquote self, according to this, this model. And then you see all the parts and you see the big picture, and then you can bring in a sense of compassion in the way that you approach any one of these parts. Wow. 
Yeah, and, and I think, and I know, um, I don't remember how much time we agreed to. Are, how are you on time? Are you good? Do you need to go soon? Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, we're way past kids' bedtimes okay. and everything else. So we're, we're okay. in a sort of like and, limitless I mean, zone right now. We're, yeah. we're, this is kind of a danger zone, actually. We're in like, we're in like the sweet spot. We're trying to get good, but it'll get real bad really quick. And we, and we make sure that we just end it there. We call uh, this the part that we say things that we regret a couple weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> One time, we took out 45 minutes. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> sure as shit did. <laughs> uh, it uh, uh, you know, like I, so I'm a pretty like normal, like dudes, dude, I think, you know, I like stuff. I, 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 go over. I need you to agree with me here. Cause okay. Okay. Where fine. I'm going to go is really got to contradict that football cheerleader. <laughs> uh, I like with... football. I like the Coen brothers. I like the ballet, but like when I started doing parts work, like I saw it as this is going to be so crazy. The little, like remember in the little mermaid, if you saw it, if, if you had sisters, then you saw it, uh, where there are the little like squirmy things that have in turn, like squirmy, the flotsam and jetsam. Uh, yeah. Things. No, no, Ursula's, no. Ursula's, Ursula's little, little kingdom. Of, yeah. 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 Well, I'm with the, you. yeah. Those are all the mermaids. Who were then like trans transformed when right. I started doing the part works? I was like, son of a bitch, I'm seeing a little uh why am I seeing the, the Lord uh, the poor the, unfortunate the souls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and it and there is this and it um anyways, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring that up. But two, uh there's like it's I'm, I'm legit what it was first like when I was doing it. And it's kind of like the running um theme anytime I do parts work. But uh I I um, one of the things that's always kind of like horrified me, there's this great, epi- I don't know if it's great, but there's this uh, South Park episode where like it's one of the characters like, well, here's why you're screwed because of like how all these um, chemicals work and who knows if like change is actually possible. And I was talking with my therapist about this. I was like, is change actually possible? And he goes, oh, absolutely. Like there's like tons of research that's showing that like you can absolutely change. It's not a set in stone as some people like to make it out to be. And it reminds me of this um, Whenever you like, you're like Benedict being asked about the future or just different things, he always talks about how, like, first, don't be surprised by man's propensity to be able to change. Yeah. And I hear that in like what you're saying. And like, and it's, and it's part of John Paul II stuff. And, and, and with parts work, is that like changes, like radical change is actually like healing is actually possible. And we should never think that because we did this, like, this is the who we are and this is the way it's always going to be. Yeah, it's it's that's that's so beautiful and so important, and that's that's the hope. And it's like, this is the thing that is just so astounding to me. And I have to be careful because my my own sort of passion and the fire that's gotten lit in me is like, why isn't anybody else doing this or talking about it like this? Or and it's like, it's easy to fall into the patterns because it's what everybody else is doing. And you go through. Even social psychology has the answer for why this happens. You're a student. You go through the program. You know you have to uh, toe the line. You have to pass the tests. You have to do all. It's just it passes on one to the next. It's it's so hard to break out of the patterns. But when you break out of the patterns of of, of secular contemporary psychology from a morally relativistic worldview and really deeply uh, deeply Marxist, which is a whole other sort of dimension to this whole thing it is easy it's it's like you bring in uh, people who are serious about their own conversion you teach them about who the human person really is and you let them love people and apply their expertise it actually works like that shouldn't be surprising but it's 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 amazing when it happens and it's it's over and over and over again it happens it's like unbelievable Turns out Switchfoot was right. We're just learning to be human. 
That's a deep cut. That's it. I apologize. Sorry, Gomer. Go on. So, uh, yeah, I, I, gosh, there's two things that I want to talk about. One is this buzzword, not a buzzword, but this word that is buzzing around in my head, which is agency. Um, yeah. And I, I use that word all the time with my kids because, like, it, 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 they go to do a thing. They can't do the thing because of obstacle A, so they give up everything. And I'm like, hey, 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 how come you didn't do that? And they're like, well, I couldn't reach it. I'm like, okay, you couldn't reach it. Okay, we're going to talk about agency, right? You are an acting person. You have, an, you have something within you that can figure out how to get this done. Now, I want you to figure it out. You have agency. So, and they're like, what the heck does that mean? I was like, get a stool, get a chair, climb on top of the countertop. You can do it. Come up with plan B, plan C, plan F. So there's this, like, an increase in agency can only come about when I have knowledge, right? You don't have freedom if you don't have knowledge. You can't build your life on a lie. And, you know, the truth will really set you free. And that is as just rock solid bedrock advice as it is a principle of Catholic spiritual life and mysticism. Like it reaches down to the depths and all the way to the heights. The other side of it, though, right, and this is like the objection or the pushback is – and I hear this a lot with like annulments, right? So I I do marriage prep at my – um, at my church, I'm responsible for all that. Uh, I don't know if Luke knows this, but I have many employees that, okay. So, uh, no, but when we talk about this, the common objection from a lot of people is, okay, then, you know, nothing's a sin. You know, it's my, my, you know, the six-year-old me is the one who is chronically looking at pornography, not me. I can't be held culpable. JP2 said, you know, you got all this stuff going underneath the surface. So how, you know, if you don't really know yourself until you've reconciled and integrated and, you know, okay, everyone should get an annulment because no one's a super saint who's integrated and no one knows what the hell they're doing, right? You know what I mean? Like, have you heard that kind of thing? Like, yeah, I know it's crazy. It's like it's almost like somebody should pro- needs to write something to the effect of only God knows the heart of man. <laughs> it's like, I mean, really, like, why hasn't somebody put it into print that it's not <laughs> our job? We don't need to judge people's sinfulness and culpability. Why? Why is nobody writing that? Because uh, it sounds boring. It's, I, I love judging people. Because I'd rather argue about the liturgy. <laughs> <laughs> the three-hour podcast. Is I, I mean, this is yeah. this is like so important because I think. Yeah. I mean, are there places for some incredibly nuanced articulation for understanding culpability? Yes, in the confessional, or some very very mind like uh, rare minutia of nuance that comes up in spiritual direction or even the work that we do with mentorship. We'll talk about it, but the difference between objective sin, objective morality and subjective culpability couldn't be greater. And it's not our job to judge subjective culpability. And it's for this reason. It's because we don't know the level at which I mean, this is where, like, the whole, like, Von Balthazar's, you know, dare we should hope. It's like, I mean, in some crazy, like, thought experiment, we could hypothetically imagine a world in which all men are saved. You know, it's it's just because the technicalities of that process means that we can't actually judge any one person's damnation. So the fact that we can't judge one person's damnation should just be enough for us to realize we don't have to judge anybody's culpability. It's kind of an all or nothing thing. And the, so when we approach it in our certification, cause we get deep into the nuances of 
the interplay between one's own culpability of, of freedom and agency, especially we're talking about addiction. I mean, and that's the most obvious, but like now we're talking on very deep layers of parts that are operating because they emerged at four years old because your mom didn't pick you up fast enough when you were crying and like all this other stuff, right? Like who knows how many divorces that caused? Well, we still, we're going we're gonna to approach those realities with courage and realize that, yes, there is a connection here, but it's still not our job to make a judgment on moral culpability. Mm-hmm. That's just not what we're doing here. Yeah. So to know our job and to stick on our side of the boundary and know what we're doing and what we're not doing is most important, I think, for people in these kinds of fields. Well, and like also, and feel, don't hesitate to, to like, to like say I'm wrong, but if you're the person who is, you know, who is acting out, who is like doing those wrong things. And if there is addiction, if, if there are all these like other things, it helps to say somewhere along the lines, I own this. Even if this is the part of me, that's like five-year-old kid, it's still me. Own the bad behavior. Yeah, or, or or like not 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 if um like say like find like somehow I'm still I'm, I'm still I, I don't necessarily mean like so this is why like if 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 like I've got a sin that I'm really having a, a hard time with and it's like you know there are times I felt like am I even I'm culpable for this anymore because this has been this is going back to you know who knows what, uh, like what I still kind of have to own it in the sense of like some part of me is still doing this this choice it's it might not be a complete act like i still want to confess that even though i, I understand oh, yeah, 100% is some like i'm rooted in some deep in some deep things here yeah yeah and and that's the mm-hmm. thing it's like confession is not meant to just be for moral mortal sin and it's not supposed to be this thing i mean there are things that are objectively mortal sins and there are people that know internally for themselves they can make their own judgment on themselves, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. their own recesses of their mind and heart. But that still is murky water. So it's like, just go to confession. Like, bring it all to confession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, why yeah. in the world would we even make that distinction? Yeah. Go to confession. Every one of us, you know, it's like, I just love rem- remembering the John Paul II is going to confession every week. It's like, there's there's something important about that. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's it's it's... The level of nuance and the level of layers of sort of at, at, at the sort of intricacy and sophistication that, you know, when we're when we're thinking about these things and asking these questions and, and attempting to live this kind of life, like we're definitely already very far in the spiritual life. Like if you look at traditional spirituality, you know, in the beginning stages of human existence, when you don't have an encounter with Jesus, people are knuckleheads. And they don't know that they're doing something wrong or they think they are, but they don't care. They don't have conviction. They don't have the action of the Holy Spirit, like propelling and motivating them to good. Then there's an encounter with Christ on some level, in some way, shape or form. And it's like, I think I want to live different. That's the initial stages of conversion. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now there are moral changes that I should make. And if you're still in that wrestling match, you're progressing in the spiritual life. Like, that's the whole purgative way. So th- it's like, that's, that's not a bad place to be. Like, most people are in that place. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't mean you're going to be sent to hell. You know, but what we find now is that, like, actually changing sinful behavior, there's, you can see so clearly that the negative spirituality that comes from a lot of uh, distorted Catholic practice and Protestant distortions 
it reinforces cycles of shame that mm -hmm. make people not be able to get free. They don't have agency because they're not bringing love and compassion. They're not accepting their own parts within themselves. It's like the woman at the well being cast away instead of being welcomed in. She's going to go sin more when she keeps getting cast away. She's not mm -hmm. going to stop sinning just because everybody's judging her and telling her to only go to the well during the day and stop using it with the rest of us. And, and that's the same for every one of us. So that's, yeah. I mean, especially with like pornography addiction, masturbation, that stuff, there's such a deep and even psychological, even secular psychology theorists will talk about the shame cycle. Masturbation, yeah. repeated and addictive masturbation is in, in many circles is talked about as self-harm. And it's it's like you're it's like a, a a form of cutting because of shame. So it's like the only way that that's going to break out is 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 by pouring light of love and compassion in, not more like self criticism and judgment. And that's not to create a false dichotomy between awareness of sin and and compassion and mercy. But like if we're honest, typically we're we're aware of sin in a very self critical, uncompassionate way. Yeah. How dare I? I remember I was in confession once at Franciscan, this Yoda monk, and he just said, uh, he's like, you know, the whole time you're doing your confession, you keep saying, I can't believe I did this. He goes, I can. Have you ever met you? You're a sinner. Why is it so shocking that you can't realize you did this? And I'm like, because I have delusions of grandeur. Because <laughs> right, like, me think me better than everything else and everyone else. But I, I, it, it does resonate. It does resonate. Like this, um, especially when you say things like, Luke had me read a book <clears throat> years ago. This is one of the rings in my, in my own life, right? Is um, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And I read that because <clears throat> basically the, the premise of the book is, you're a nice guy, you're passive, but you're really passive-aggressive because you want all of these things. You just don't want to go out and get it. You want to be so nice to people, just kind of give it to you. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff with that, but, like, about sex. Like, you're, you're fine in the friend zone because you think she'll, after leaving all the bad boys, she'll finally see you for what you are and throw herself upon <laughs> you and all this stuff. And um, But one of the mo things that he talked about was, like, like, for me, like, overeating, emotional eating, drinking, all this stuff is a way of punishing yourself. He's like, like you, like if you had a friend who stopped brushing their teeth and brushing their hair and taking showers, you go to them and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, go, go, like, come on, like, take care of yourself. Like, come on. Like, I'll, I'll go, I'll buy you a toothpaste. Like, what do you need? And he's like, you'll be more compassionate for a friend yeah. than you will be for yourself. Yeah. And I think Jordan Peterson probably said that too. But like that notion of like you externalize like if you realize like this is actually what you're doing you're hurting yourself and uh you know it is funny to think of like chronic addictive masturbation as a form of i mean the the old spiritual masters called it self abuse for a reason right like exactly how, that is fascinating as a, a form of cutting wow yeah it's like who who doesn't know the let down feeling uh, that happens right after you finish with the act that it's like Anybody who's stuck in that cycle knows what's about to happen. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know because I've never done that. Well, but <laughs> I wouldn't say you. I meant that. He you know, said I, lying. I, I thought it better. <laughs> Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham, the comedian. Like, I think Bo Burnham is insanely insightful. But he had this whole thing where he does this over the top miming of looking at internet pornography, masturbate, like all over the top. But then he stops and he's like looking at his hands. And then he like looks up to heaven and he just does the letdown. He's like, I'm sorry. And he like sl- sadly walks off the stage, and everyone's like, "What just happened?" Like oh, that yeah. went from that's comedy powerful. to like you just looked at my soul real quickly. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing It's like, okay, maybe the first time somebody does that, they didn't know what was about to happen or how they were going to feel. But then, uh, you, if, if if it happens one time, it's like you know it's going to happen again. So then, but you're still engaging in that same cycle of behavior. So, like the knowledge that that's about to happen doesn't just disappear; it goes into the subconscious. Mm. Most people aren't being tempted, mm. tempted towards that, you know, that act, thinking about how bad I'm going to feel about myself afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like they're tempted by the kind of allure or whatever. But the other part of it is just on the tail end of that. So like where, you know, so that's part of it. So anyway, that's that's yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And that's where, again, just like the negative sentiment and the negative disposition that comes with the sort of sinner talk is that you know that's that's not going to help it just adds and compounds the problem it's so interesting too like when i think about this how much of um <clears throat> john paul ii like so much of his words are not a pep talk but kind of like a pep talk <laughs> you know what i mean like i think going back to like that the line like you know you are not the sum of your weakness of your weaknesses and of your failures but of the father's love for for exactly you. and like other things that he would say i'm like he is trying to speak words to help us see who, like who we are in the most positive, yeah, like real, way. like, like just very, I mean, like, I think like all the popes, honestly, have done this, but it's just, it's like, these really profound things that are not like, Oh, don't do this. You horrible person. It's like, this is what you are. Let me tell you what you are yeah. and who you are. And it's pretty, um, that's, that's kind of earth shattering. And, and, you know, I think that it's, it's normal for us to, Again, it's like we have we have all these parts. So it's like, you know, a lot of us and, you know, I can speak for us coming from a Steubenville sort of mentality, but it's like early in life, you have a conversion, you think you know everything. And now you jump into this like faith life. And then it's like, well, I must be a saint. Like, I must be doing this right. It's like, I don't think it's that easy. Like, I, I, I think there's probably more to it. And it's not that it's so hard. It's just that it takes time. So, and this is where the whole conversion piece comes into it. It's like, if we're not living a life of constant conversion and like really practically thinking, articulating like so real and authentically about how I actually need conversion. Like this year I decided I'm actually going to start naming it for myself out loud and talking to my family about it. So, and now my wife is like, stop doing that because... Now I'm praying for, you know, when we pray together, it's like I'm praying for the intention of, of my impatience. And I, I really want to work on my impatience this year. I was like, this is my intention for the year. I want God to really give me the chance to, to work through my impatience. And then all, you know, then we had like the plague for six weeks and then we have all these other things that keep happening. My wife's like, stop praying for patience. We don't need any more patience. I was like, I, but no, I actually am really impatient. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, I can be like really short with my kid, my precious kids. God, I can't yeah. even, 
Nothing fills me more with guilt it's than so bad. after and it's like, yelling okay. at my kids. Yeah. And c- can we turn towards those parts with compassion? Sure. I'm sure my impatience emerged because of stuff that happened in my life, and I'm not like trying to crucify it. But at the same time, it needs to change its job. You know. So it's like we need to have constant, authentic reminders of how we can still grow and change. And and just the over-spiritualization of, I think, a lot of Catholic communities, it's just like, well, if you look like the prayer card and if you say the right prayers and you do say all your rosaries and you this and that and you read the books and it, it's like, that, that can't be it. Like, there's there's got to be much more deeper internal stuff that can actually happen here. So I wanted to get to that part next, that part right there that, that you just um, talked about there because I think that is... And I do not mean this anyway as like a this. I think everyone should go to Franciscan. So I mean, like my daughter has no choice; she's going there. Uh, but uh, sometimes at that place that we all love, uh, or in other Catholic communities, perhaps you. Grew yeah, no, up and like, I agree about Franciscan. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's like no one can crap on it but me. But yeah. you know, like you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but you know, or even growing up in a charismatic community, which I don't think I experienced this part as as much, but I saw in other charismatic groups that, that I was a part of. Um, there's this time, like, well, let's just pray to, like, end this addiction, or let's just pray to, and it's like, and then um, nothing happened. You know, or, or like, and I'm not trying to, like, deny that God can work through that, or is, or has, or did, or perhaps the prayer just took a long time to, to be answered, but it's like that over-spiritualization of time, or that's kind of, um, actually, what we need is some deeper work here. Yeah. As opposed to just, um, oh, have you tried to go to the port? I'm not, it's not like going to the port is wrong, but it's like when you're dealing with sometimes with a, with a profound addiction, with profound trauma, um, perhaps uh, the thought prayer team isn't the most qualified group to help you process that. <laughs> <laughs> like, or, you know, the prayer team at AMDG's uh, praise and worship, you know, or like or whatever. Like sometimes you, perhaps you don't need to go on that mission trip. Maybe you just need to go home and sleep for a week. Yeah, and you know, I think I think this is one thing I want to say is that you know, again, I think the part of us that is there at the beginning, like in college, maybe at younger ages, that emerges like fresh off conversion, mm-hmm. uh, like it's a good part. Like there's a beauty 100% to that. Agree. Yeah, and so it's not. And you're saying this, but I just to kind of to go back to what I was saying earlier too, and kind of put it in in the same context. It's like that's a good part, and it's operating at that time. We just have to keep growing. And no, the prayer team of college students at the FOP doesn't have mystical vision and see everything and know everything and can like go toe to toe with the the TORs that have been like in ministry for 40 years and working on their own spiritual life. You know, and it's like, we just have to have that humility, you know, so we can love the part that's there and the younger part that was like vibrant and exuberant and like way overzealous and then we can be like, yeah, but there's also like more and we can love the, the, the journey and the process too. And when, when we get older and then don't realize the need for that deeper conversion, and that's because this is more IFS talk, but like the parts are what's called blended. And this is when like one part takes over the driver's seat of the whole person. And so you don't have agency because you have the part driving the car instead of like the self driving the car, which is where full awareness comes from. And then we have self-determination. But when we're operating out of these parts and like, you know, this with people, like you can probably think of people that are so rigid 
in the way they talk or handle situations or deal with things. And it's like, I am the planner. I'm always going to be on top of everything and I have all the answers and I'm always going to plan. And then like something goes off out of plan and then like they, they just become unhinged. They like on rat, like they can't deal with it. So we, we need to realize that when the parts that are there in the beginning, when the freshness of conversion, all this stuff, and it's this exuberance and this overzealousness, if that becomes crystallized and we become blended in that kind of part, it becomes really dangerous. Because especially with things of the spiritual life, we're not just talking about, are you a good planner? We're talking about now you have what looks like age and wisdom, but you're leading people astray with an immature spirituality. And, and then what I've seen, unfortunately, and, and you know, it's, thank God the minority, but for all the great Catholic therapists out there, there's, there's the minority that sort of maintains that thread of that immature spirituality. And that's when you, if you have a, a licensed mental health professional who's Catholic, and then they're like coming in with this stuff that's about like, you just got to pray it away or just do this retreat or just do these exercises or whatever. It's like, that is dangerous. And, and so we need these nuances. We need this continual self growth and conversion. We need to realize that there is way more to the integration of body and spirit here. And there's way more, even within the spiritual realm itself, that we have so much more to learn. And so we hold on to these things and, and, and to our own detriment, we need to always be looking for how we can let go and grow. So I think of it in terms of Thomistic Aristotelian categories of the virtuous life, right? Where you're at one end, you're evil. And what does it mean to be evil? Well, your desires, your um, urges, your, you know, everything from vegetative and, and locomotive, of the, you know, whatever. You're all ordered towards, <laughs> towards not your happiness. Did you say not, locomotive? I'm locomotive, right? <laughs> the, 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 the animal. What, what on central the, time. Is that, why is that can a steam I not... engine in that train? <laughs> Locomotion is part of the animal uh, element within humanity, not vegetative. Anywho, so that this notion of um, uh, I have these desires, like like a thorough to mystic understanding is I'm not just rational thought that controls a body right. through my will. I have desires, instincts, inclinations. I have these things. That need to be integrated. And the notion of a virtuous life, to become virtuous, is to, to not just do the right thing. That's not the Catholic thing. That's only part of the way there. It's not just to know the right thing to do. Again, that's actually closer to evil because if you know it but can't do it, that's a problem. Right. If you know it and do it but you <laughs> hate it, that's a problem. Right. Right. And I think a lot of us are in this area where it's like we know it and we, we try to do it. We fail, but we don't love it. And the idea of the virtuous life is the the internal harmonization. You know, using the Platonic language of like you know the 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 what is it, the philosopher king, right? Oh, like all these different aspects. Those were interior characters of the soul, right? And so you have this understanding of like my basic urges, all the way up to my my instincts, my inclinations, the desires that I can actively form. All of this is meant to be in harmony with my will and then my intellect, and then my Lord, right? Like, this is this integrated person. But most people just think when they hear morality of, like, you know, just don't masturbate, right? And it's like, right. it's not just that. It's like, like, like you're in the middle of the temptation to masturbate, and you say, well, this isn't loving to myself. 
It's also not loving to the image, this person that I'm looking at or this this object I'm giving. Right? There's like these layers where you actually have to talk your way through the desire. And then one day you find out, like, you, it, it's almost imperceptible. Actually, it is imperceptible for most people. Like, oh, now I have a new desire. I don't desire. Yeah, new habits. Yeah, but it's like it's it, but it's 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 beyond just the actions I do on the outside. It's right, it's the inner transformation. Yeah, the 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 inclinations themselves have been changed. Yeah, yeah, and that's when that's when again with nuance and and sort of maturity and development, we're moving away from the sort of objectively grave sin and and into the deeper recesses of the kinds of thoughts we have about other people, the kinds of yeah. management of our emotional reactions. You know, it's the kind of stuff where it's like now we talk about, you know, yeah, just the, the the way that we think about other people and the way that we think about the closest people that are in our lives. And and then, you know, all all ordered towards relationship. You know, I think I think that's one point that I like to make, especially about our model and what we're training and teaching. I kind of alluded to it in the beginning that like only half of our program is curriculum. The other half is actually walking with our students in relationship. That's because the whole model is built on relationship. So as you were just describing that, like virtue and action and agency and, you know, all these kinds of things are only, only relevant insofar as they affect our relationships. Relationship is really the most primary, basic reality of our experience as humans. And it's because we're created in the image of relationship and, and, and that's also... It is late. All these points are all over the place. But <laughs> the in the IFS model, thanks for good podcast. We'll land the plane. We'll land the plane. If, if, no, no, we can keep going another hour. But if okay. if anybody's actually still following, <laughs> don't worry, I can edit most of this out. But it's this, mostly garbage. This no, is no, no. This is not garbage. The IFS. I mean, most of the rest of the stuff I said, you can you could pick and choose. But the the IFS model, what it presents with this sort of multimodal model of self, is also part of being made in the image of God in the Trinity. So we see like a person has a unity, just like God is one, but a person also has a multiplicity like God is three. And if we're made in the image of God, of course, we know T.O.B., man and woman come together and it's the image of God in the Trinity and there's the fruit and all that stuff. But, but also in our individuality, it's not just the faculty of, in, of intellect that makes us like God in our individuality. It's actually within ourselves, we have intra-relationships, intra-personal relationships between different parts of us, which is what we're formed out of by our parents and the family, and what is actually training us how to be in relationship with God, ultimately our final destination. So we're made in the image of God in, in community and relationship. We're made to be in relationship to train us how to be in relationship, ultimately with a destiny of relationship. So all, all these other pieces there are... Uh, they are relevant, and they obviously are important, and it's great to study these things philosophically, but the actual important thing here is any of these things in relation to how we are in relationship with other people. Yeah. It was Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, who said, uh, you know, we don't understand. The Greeks were obsessed with nature, right? They didn't really talk about person. The whole conversation in ancient philosophy about what is a person as opposed to hu- what is human nature was driven by the question of who is Jesus Christ, mm. right? So to understand the Trinity, like, and what he revealed, right? So for, you know, obviously within the Western Catholic tradition, we talk about the Trinity as subsisting relations, 
right? The Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father, but they are all co-equally perfectly God. Yeah. And the fascinating thing with that, so Benedict says, this is what it means to be a person first and foremost, grounded in the very Trinity himself is a being in relation. So every time he talks about personhood, uh, Pope Benedict talks about it, um, Pope Benedict talks about personhood always as being hyphen in hyphen relation. Like think of that at its core. And, you know, buddy of mine, good old Charles Jardinia, he said it best. He's like, you know, when people knock having a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus, and Catholics say, oh, that sounds Protestant, I always look at them and say, are you a human person? Is Christ a person? Then the kind of relationship you're going to have is a personal relationship. (laughs) And then he says, and if you have a problem with that, realize that when God revealed himself to humanity in the fullness in Christ Jesus, it was in the context of relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And... Yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, you think of St. Augustine. How did he describe the Trinity? He first used what's called the psychological analogy. Look within yourself. You have mind. Your mind can conceive an image of yourself. You call that the word, right? And that that word proceeds forth from you. And it's like, whoa! You're you're literal. Like, there's an element of, uh, if I'm made in the image and likeness of God, um, um, what do you call it? Multimodal expression of personhood. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think that this this uh, relativistic atheistic Jew yep. comes up with this model, <laughs> and it's like I think one of the most important secular psychological contributions to a Catholic psychology in a long time. I don't even know it's compared to anything else prior to it. It's it's wow. remarkable. That's I'm so glad that we were able to talk about this because I I really have had some pretty profound experiences um, with it, and it's a thing that I I really should, should probably do more of. The, so my I, colleagues who practice this, like, they've gotten the training, they've gone through the different levels of credentialing and everything. It really is profound how, like, you can have cases that are super sticky. And, like, it seems like there's all sorts of resistance. Sorry, I was glitching for a second. Is that no, is that coming? No, you're good. No, you're okay. good. Yeah. You're great. But it, it, so it was just another, it was just another dramatic pause. <laughs> <laughs> all and, sorts of resistance. And then still nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's like by using by just tapping into this model, all of a sudden they're like crazy movement in all sorts of ways that people never thought possible. Kind of like it's 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 related to a lot of that's happening with psychedelic psychotherapy, which is <laughs> a whole another topic. <laughs> is there anything about that that's even remotely legit? Uh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like what? The psychedelic stuff? Yeah, the problem with the problem with it is uh, if, if you want to open up another topic, the problem with it is that all again, actually, it's very much related. It's it's finding an even more powerful uh, technique or, or 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 tool in the toolkit, even more powerful than IFS, without being grounded at all in any kind of objectivity of worldview. So, and in fact, if you listen to the uh, the Jordan Peterson with Bishop Barron and John Verveke. There's there's one that was called like the three horsemen or the four horsemen, and and there's the other guy John uh, the other guy I forgot he 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 um writes icons yeah Jonathan Paggiano or Paggio or something yeah like something that. like yeah. that um, Pego I think Jonathan Pego, Pego right yeah yeah French yeah so they were uh, it came up and and they were talking about psychedelics and I was like oh this is amazing we get to hear like Bishop Barron and. Unfortunately, I think maybe he definitely wasn't prepared for the question in the conversation. And I don't think I, I can't imagine in his life he's like doing a bunch of deep dive research on like sort of. <laughs> I don't know. He's really into Bob Dylan, like really. into yeah. Bob Dylan. 
<laughs> but uh, but so and John Verveke, which is really really fascinating, is uh, I think agnostic though he doesn't really come out and say it. He's a colleague of Peterson's at Toronto or was mm-hmm. um, yes, was best then. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he he says you know I have a real problem with the research and the popularization right now with the psychedelic psychotherapy because what's missing is in his words, he called it a sapiential framework. And what it, what it means is basically this contradiction in the part of the experience is that somehow it's opening people up to this like oneness of all being in nature and humanity and all this stuff. And yet there's no objectivity on which to ground it. So how can you have oneness and connection and, and communion when there's no framework that actually has any kind of objectivity. It's like saying we can communicate without a language. Like you and I have to agree that the word agree means a thing that we both say that it means, whether we like it or not, or think it means that or not, or want it to mean something different or not. It has to mean what it means so that you and I can communicate and use the word and have shared understanding and connect on what it means that something is agree instead of disagree. So there has to be a sapiential framework an objectivity that grounds each person's individual subjective experience. So what we're doing is we're exploring the inner experience of somebody and creating. And so really it's playing with something that is the way that I've used this analogy is it's a nuclear, it has nuclear power, but we're get, we're putting it in the hands of children who know nothing of science. And so this, it, it, it matters to be even more specific, that it unlocks. Let's go back to John Paul II. It's, it's like removing the threshold between the subconscious and the conscious mind for, for a brief duration of time. So if, our, if the primary task of morality and education is to bring that which is in the subconscious to the light of conscious awareness, and we have a tool that will actually create almost full awareness of everything that's going on in that in that part of our of our history of our memory of all those rings that are in the tree trunk we can't just disregard that immediately and and throw it off now the problem is it requires accompaniment and the personal relationship that makes it a good thing to do and none of the specials the documentaries none, none of this is talking about the therapy that accompanies the the drug yeah, before and after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. th- I mean, they're studying this at John Hopkins. Like, this is serious stuff. And you have you have these guys who are who are promoting this research, and they're saying the therapy is essential. You cannot forget the therapy. It's about the relationship. It's about set and setting. It means like the mindset that you have going in, the person that you're with, the fact that you feel safe, all these things. And then Netflix does a documentary, and they're like, "These crazy mushrooms!" And look at what you could do with ecstasy, and we're changing lives and healing lives. And it's like. Nobody said a word about the therapy. Now, not only is the therapy necessary, but a therapy that can ground the experience in an objective worldview that we can make sense of these things. So anyway, there's a lot there. But I think we're probably, as a culture, in a a pretty dangerous and vulnerable place with the way that it's being uh, brought out. It's it's fascinating because you hear the the notion of from like – Catholic priests who are warning people about the use of psychedelics. It's like everyone keeps using the phrase open you up. And he's like, and if like it could have medicinal value. I think any anyone can acknowledge marijuana can have medicinal. All these drugs are drugs. Like they can they can do things and psycho 
psychotropic drugs do things. They alter moods. You know, they give you feelings of euphoria where previously you were depressed. Whatever. Like, but this this notion of like being unguided, see, mm-hmm. self-diagnosing. Right. You're not going to take chemo by yourself, but you're going to rip yeah, exactly. into your subconscious uh, trauma without a, a guide, without someone to help you because some dude calls himself a shaman and says he's going to help you here. Like, That's crazy. Yeah, and I, I can understand. Does like, he have the, good music? <laughs> <laughs> Does he are have we, black light posters? Check. <laughs> are we going to listen to Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live at Luther College? Because I don't know. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying this because, like, you know, the, the phrase that Jordan Peterson talks about is we can understand, like, we can locate religious experience in the brain. But when he says religious experience, he means like uh, the mystical, overwhelming presence of like God, the whirlwind, right? Like the the wheels within wheels of an Ezekiel. And then he immediately equates that to shamans, you know, encouraging, you know, the licking of toads and the eating of mushrooms and, and other. So, I mean, I, and I'm not saying that out of turn. I mean, those are done within a religious context. Right. Those are done, you know, right. sweat lodges and all. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is, like, it's almost like, yeah, in these ancient practices, ancient cultures, there was a point and a purpose. They didn't go into the sweat lodge every Tuesday. It was like this <laughs> massive <laughs> moment in their yeah. life, right? They get but the membership was card. Th- yeah, yeah. Well, it's Tuesday. Time to lick a toad day. Uh, two day toad. <laughs> Day, it right. was their version of CCT. Yeah, it was. Yeah, twenty-five cent wings, forty-five cent toad licking. <laughs> it was um, fun when it was like twenty-five of you. When it got to sixty, a little bit much. A little bit much. Um, but no. So like, the, the, just speaking in like abstract, like returning back to the 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 ways a, a, a you know a Native American culture used it. They used it very specifically. It wasn't just, hey man. You know, come out here to Burning Man, and I'm going to show you what it means to be healed, man. Yeah, no, that that thing is totally insane, and it, it's really sad. I mean, which it's really scary to see how quickly anything that happened with medical cannabis that could have been useful or helpful yeah. or used in a medical context completely got hijacked. And it, like, why would that not happen now with the psychedelic? I mean, it's just it's it's really it's really sad. Well, and, and I think too, what what kind of like. What I'm hearing, because like, I think what I, cause I remember the, the first time I ever heard of a person that I knew who had used some some type of like psychedelic was like saying, "No, I've actually this has genuinely really helped me." Yeah, with you know with stuff I was going through. So so I was like, "Huh?" And it was and like the, the way they explained it was very unrational. They weren't trying to be like I was tripping balls. It was more just like and. This person got a lot of pushback. Tripping Paul for a long time. And I think the last time I heard it, you're the one that said it, dude. Probably. This is beautiful. Uh, It's very recursive. I I don't even know what else he looks like. Uh, (laughs) No, it's it's really amazing. If you really start to study it, the the, the medical and and psychological literature on this, and it makes a lot of sense of the experiences that we grew up hearing about and thinking about. I didn't Mm -hmm. really, I never was part of that culture. Like, I never used that. But just the way we think about it, it's really the unconscious coming into conscious light. And it, there's a reason our psyche blocks it from our conscious awareness. Yeah. Like some of it is pretty scary and will mess us up if we're actually looking at it. So you need to have a person walking with you. And it's like if I'm working with like a vet who has all this trauma or somebody who suffered terrible sexual trauma or whatever, it's like my whole goal of my whole work with them and my prayer every day is will you feel this person feel safe enough with me that they can let these things emerge from their unconscious so that we could talk about them consciously in a place of safety. And I, I have people that I've talked with for years because of that process, because trauma is so disorienting 
and, and is so unraveling to what we're created for that we have these built-in self-protective mechanisms that are like, shut it down. Don't let anybody else in. We are not going there again. And you know what? Good for us. Like, that's awesome that we can do that. But if we want to be healed, we have to open that back up. So if I'm working with somebody for five years or I can do a weekend retreat with somebody and it's legitimate and it actually works. And then the follow-up studies show like a year later, they actually still have that higher functioning and they don't feel that same trauma. Why in the world would I have a block against studying that? Like I have an imperative ethically and morally to, to like really look into that. So that's, that, that's what I originally, probably about three, four years ago, I think it was, I saw a documentary called um, A Trip of Compassion. And it was a, an Israeli-based documentary following the stories of five different trauma patients. And they, they had this whole thing, uh, you know, they did, I think it was with MDMA, with ecstasy, that they, they did this kind of experience. And afterwards, they were like it, was like, it was like five years of therapy in one day. So I, there's, there's just a big question mark on that, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's just really sad to think that it could be a possibly really helpful thing, and it's going to be completely hijacked by, by our stupid culture. Yep. Jam band lovers. Um, <laughs> Looking at you, Fish. Um, we, <laughs> Brad we, need to, <laughs> we need to wrap up now. It's 11 o'clock. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, so I got one simple closing question for you. How do I know I need to go to therapy? Uh, if, you're, if you're human, then you could use some help. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I was going to ask, when do you stop wearing the jumpsuit? But, you know, <laughs> when did you stop also. wearing your SOS jumpsuit is the answer last week. I, so. I still have the SOS jumpsuit in my closet. <laughs> That's not awesome. going to lie. I got, I got my kilt in my closet. It's all good. I'm by kilt. I mean, tablecloth. It's beautiful. My kilt somewhere probably in David Huss house or something. <laughs> but every time I feel that lower back pain, I think fondly back to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So sorry. Why did I summon the crow again? Why did I summon the crow? <laughs> this part has not been integrated. My oh, sciatica. <laughs> you bastard, JD <laughs> A man amongst men. You six foot four, super in good shape, very coordinated person. How is he a man among boys? <laughs> yeah. Among ants. Uh, so just so people know, you have a podcast, uh, the Being Human podcast. You have um, – where aren't you? You are all over the place. The Catholic uh, Catholic Psych Institute, um, you have a lot of great resources on there. Um, we're not going to let you shop. talk where you are. We're just going to say all the things. Right. <laughs> we're just going to say it. We're just going to say it as we close the show like gentlemen, like warrior poets. So, um, man, I, I could have you on for very many times because I see when I look at your bullet points on your website, I'm like, oh, crap. Marriage prep, marriage counseling. <laughs> like These are all the things I need to be better at, and I need to figure out how Catholics can integrate it better in their parishes. Yeah, this is really good. Uh, so, so anyway, it's like, where, is, there, is there anything else? Like, What's the name of your podcast and stuff? Yeah, Being Human Podcast, uh, CatholicPsych.com. Catholic Psych is the handle on all the social media. So, yeah, you can find us there. Cool. Nice. Well, um, this has been fun. I would love to have love to have you on again at at um, some point in time. I, I would love so, it. You guys are awesome. Uh, I love, this is fun. To chat with so, you. It's great to oh, see. Thank you. you. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You too. I, gosh, I don't think I've seen you. In, um, when did you graduate? Uh, graduated in 03. Okay. Okay. And it's it's probably been a while. Yeah. Did you start in 01? Uh, I did because I transferred in. So okay. I, I yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. Oh one. 
Okay, cool. And I was nice. in Austria. I did two semesters in Austria. You did two? So. <laughs> oh, legend. How did legend. you do that? I just never cleared it with an advisor. I just kind of went. <laughs> That's the most stupid thing ever. I just did. Got to work out. Better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah, that's how I only took 12 credit hours. They're like, you need 15 credit hours in order to be a student in Austria. <laughs> Gormley, you have 12. And I was like, all right, I'll get permission. So I called them the last day, the last hour, the last day, and I mumbled my name. And I called during, like, no, it wasn't the last hour. It was during the middle of the night, their time. And I'm like, they never got back to me. And they're like, all right, it'll slide. And I'm like... <laughs> You call switchboard. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you give me permission? Uh, I think I should transfer you. No, 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 no. No, you middle, <laughs> minimum wage they lost college me on student. hold. I wasn't gonna wait. It was like four seconds. Yeah, Those poor, yeah. Like I always felt so bad for like the freshman and sophomore switchboard people who just would have people like us calling, just being terrible. Well, they used to be like Alexa. Like you just ask them anything, right? You would <laughs> ask them the weather, what time is it, like where are my classes tomorrow, like all these things. Now at least we have Alexa to ask. Should I, Bob uh, Lesnevsky would prank them so horribly bad. So he bad. would have them run, like, hey, could you just go outside and check if it's raining? Someone said that by the field house it's raining. They'd be like, all right, give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> so broken. So broken. Oh, Switchboard, do I ask out Christina uh, Murray or not? I'm not sure. What do I need to do? With they became a magic eight ball is what yeah. it is. Should I microdose LSD? <laughs> <laughs> uh <sighs> Uh, uh, okay, we're going to close with this quote from Frazier. Okay. I love me some Frazier. Niles Crane takes over for Dr. Frazier Crane on his radio show, and he says, I'm a Jungian, not a Freudian, so there'll be no blaming mommy today. <laughs> and that's how he starts the show. I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's beautiful. It's I love beautiful. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, thank you, though. This, is, this has been great. It's been really, really Yeah, great, no, so. thank you, guys. Thank I you. really appreciate you having me on, and, uh, and definitely look forward to the next time. I can't wait to see if this shows up in your newsletter or not. Because <laughs> sneaking suspicion, be that'll be questionable. <laughs> right, I'm going to stop it. Oh, not, not, not I'm leaving. I'm just going to end of the session for all. Yes. And now. Luke just left. He ended it for himself. Luke just <laughs> left. Like and he's I, gone. And I can't turn it off. <laughs> oh, that son of a bee sting. Luke, hold on. Just hold on a second. I'm going to text him right now. <laughs>